You know, somewhere in the deep, dark recesses of a closet, somewhere in my house, there is a high school yearbook. And written in that yearbook are little notes of encouragement by my classmates. Things like, don't ever change. Stay the way you are. Be yourself. And I don't blame them. They were only 18 years old at the time. But that's the absolute worst advice you could ever give anybody, right? They didn't know any better. I mean, I'm sure I said some things at 18 years old that I, I, were pretty bad advice. A lot of my classmates now, it's been over 25 years since that yearbook came out and since those notes were written. All of those classmates have changed. None of them are the way they used to be. Some of them could still grow up a little bit, but none of them truly stayed the way they were because that's a fact of life, right? You grow, you change, you adapt, you evolve, all those kind of things because, I mean, that's what life does. You grow physically, you grow mentally, I mean, you change as you get older. Still, I can't help but think about those words, stay just the way you are, be yourself, because we hear that advice a lot in our culture, don't we? Just be yourself. You know, Coke has a commercial right now. Just be you. Do you. Whatever that means, just be you and just do you. You do realize that's the absolute worst advice you could ever give. Because the Bible does not give the message of just be yourself. In fact, it gives quite the opposite message. By all means, don't be yourself. That's the worst thing you could do, actually. And I wonder if, if Peter or John or, or Paul or Jesus were to sign our yearbook, what do, what do you think they would write? What do you think they would write in those pages? How about this? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Love, Paul, Sr., 20 A.D. Or how about this one? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen, your buddy Peter. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. It's John. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, your Savior, Jesus. The message of the Bible is not be yourself. The message of the Bible is quite the opposite. The message of the Bible is be something better. Be something greater. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's just read it. It's not that long, 22 verses. Let's just read Ephesians chapter 2. But as you read along with me, read these words. We've been talking about better Bible studies, so let's employ some of that tonight. As we read these words, think to yourself, Paul answering the question of, should I just be myself? Okay, think in those terms as we read through this. Is just be yourself good advice? Here we go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What would be the consequence or consequences of just being yourself. Well, you would remain dead in your sins and trespasses. You would continue living in the lust of the flesh. You would remain separated from Jesus. You would continue to be a stranger and an alien. You would miss out on heaven and all the spiritual blessings that a child of God is privileged to enjoy, both in this life and the life to come. Did you pick up on the fact that Paul is saying that just be yourself argument is worthless? Because by nature, yourself stinks. By nature, you are a children, you are children of wrath. By nature, you are no good. You are sinners. You are objects of God's wrath. I realize that the context of Paul's words here really have nothing to do with answering this question, but they do in a roundabout way, don't they? Don't be yourself. The worst thing you can do in life is to be yourself. You see, this isn't about going to the chiropractor and getting a spiritual adjustment. This is about being something entirely different, something completely new. That's what it means to be a child of God. You're not being yourself. In fact, that's the thing that you're putting to death. That's what you are burying in baptism is your old self so that you can be raised completely and totally new. So the idea of just being yourself is terrible advice. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul says, Be who you are in Christ. 
Don't be yourself. Be who you are in Christ. In fact, that message is one that he conveyed over and over again in his letters. Don't be yourself. Be the new creation that you truly are. Live with new affections and new joy. Become more and more like Jesus. Be transformed. You can't do that by being yourself. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, that begins with these beatitudes. And you remember those beatitudes, you know, being poor in spirit, being meek or gentle and, and, and you know, having a heart and, and a hunger and thirst for righteousness and appetite for righteousness and all those things that, that he mentions there, being a peacemaker, all those things. Jesus is giving us a description of what a disciple's character looks like. You realize that, don't you? The Beatitudes are there to show us the description of a disciple. This is what a disciple looks like. And you can go through the list, and you can look at poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, all of those characteristics. None of us, none of us have those naturally. Some people are more inclined to be meek, I understand. Some people are, are more peaceful than others. But nobody has these characteristics naturally. They have to be pursued. To attain this type of character is something that we have to strive for. And it only comes by seeking something better than yourself. Seeking to be like Jesus. It's not easy. But he never said it would be. Only that it'd be worth it. All of these beatitudes that Jesus is, men Jesus is mentioning here are character traits that we must strive to live out, that we must pursue. And, and Jesus is giving the crowd and us in the process a character description. And the major takeaway from the Sermon on the Mount is that a genuine disciple acts differently from the world around him. He is salt and light. He loves his enemies. He, he seeks first the kingdom and his righteousness. He gives, he prays, he fasts. He treats people the way that he wants to be treated. He walks the narrow path. He produces good fruit. He builds his faith on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. His entire life is fixated on Jesus as he strives to be like him. Here's what it, where it starts. John 3, 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus' message is anything but just be yourself. Jesus' message is you've got to be born again. You've got to be made entirely new. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you, you are a new creature in Christ. You're not yourself. You're better. Paul goes on to describe it this way in Romans 6, starting verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, get this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Your old self was a slave to sin. That old self, when you became a Christian, was crucified. Therefore, you cannot remain as you are. You cannot be yourself and be a saved child of God. Paul's keeping it real. Salvation is not like 
and a minor adjustment or going to the chiropractor. Salvation is about burial, it's about death, it's about dying in order to live. A necessary prerequisite to resurrection, believe it or not, is death, right? No one can be raised from the dead if they don't die first. That means for all of us who are children of God, we had to die to ourselves. And I would suggest to you that it's not just a one-time death at baptism. If we are going to serve a master that is Jesus Christ, that is God, then we've got to die to ourselves every single day. That's a daily proposition, isn't it? Because every day there is the temptation to go back and exhume our old self, to dig that old body up and to inhabit it again. Every day there is this temptation to be tugged and pulled in different directions so that we are not being transformed. We are not putting the emphasis on growth. We are not maturing as we should. And we are being our old self. Jesus says, be different. Paul says, be different. Peter, John, they talked about being different. They wrote about being different. Not being your true self, but something better. And you know as well as I do, transformation can be painful. It's not easy, but staying as you are is deadly. Now, please understand, I'm, I'm not just talking about those who live outside of Christ. Those folks who stay as they are, meaning those who remain in a lost state, they have no hope. I'm talking about people in the church. There are many folks in the church who have decided they are just going to remain as they are. There are Christians who have one time put on Christ in baptism. At one point, they were walking hot on the heels of Jesus. They were on fire for the Lord. They were a true and dedicated disciple. But for whatever reason, they have become lukewarm. They are stale. You know, Jesus had a message to the lukewarm Christians at Laodicea. He said, I will spit you out of my mouth, which brings up the question, can you be a Christian and be lukewarm? Would Jesus spit a Christian out of his mouth? I don't think so. Not a desirable state. Even if you are a child of God, to remain just as you are is not good enough. Because the message over and over again that we see in the New Testament is a Christian, a disciple, should be growing and maturing. That this is not, you know, you get baptized and you're done and you're, you're good. This is a daily proposition where we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, that we seek transformation as we, as we read about, as we study the characteristics of Jesus and what Paul is telling those folks in his letters and how they apply to us and how we can grow and mature in our faith. You see, all too often, we get caught up in doing right things because it's the right thing to do. And certainly that's not necessarily a bad thing. But why do you come to worship? Well, because you're supposed to, right? I mean, why, why do you take food to people who have had surgery or been in the hospital? Because that's what we do as a church, right? Why do you visit the shut-ins? Well, because they're lonely. I mean, they need somebody to visit them. Why do you pray? Well, it's because I'll talk to God. I mean, you got a need, you go to God with it. Why do you read your Bible? Well, because that's how God talks to us. 
And all those are fine answers. All those are good answers. But they're shallow answers, aren't they? We got to dig deeper, folks. I don't know about you, but when I read through the description of a disciple that Jesus gives and when he talks about, you know, character depictions in, in the Sermon on the Mount, when I read about that, when I look at what Paul endured all to share the gospel, when I read through the New Testament and I look in the book of Acts at what the apostles were doing and how they were advancing the cause of Christ, and then I compare that with what I see the church doing today, it scares me. I'm not sure we understand at all what it means to be a disciple. Because I feel like in many places, you ask folks to give a description of what a disciple is, well, you, somebody comes to church. You come to church every time doors are open. What's about? You study your Bible every day. Read, I read through the Bible twice this year. What you do, you read through the Bible. I pray every day. Pray every day when I get up, I pray every night before I go to bed. Is that all that's involved? Is that all that this is about? Why is it that the church is failing in its number one mission? You ever wondered that? Because it is. I mean, that, that can't be argued. I'm not necessarily talking to us in this room, but if you look across the religious landscape and you look at the church, why is she failing in her number one responsibility? Why are we not more evangelistic? And there's a lot of reasons probably that we can give. One of the things that just drives me batty is that every time you look at a, I say every time, virtually any time you see a lectureship or a gospel meeting, it focuses on just banging the drum and stuff we already know, Right? It's all about just patting ourselves on the back and we're affirming the faith. Why aren't we talking about evangelism in these lectureships? You know, we've got a whole world of dying people and we're banging the drum. Not that there's not a place for that somewhere. But it seems like every lectureship has the same title. They just, I mean, the same lessons. They just change the title every year, right? And we feel good that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, yep, yeah, we talked about it. We're good. Everybody's on the same page with instrumental music and women's role and all that, we feel good about it. And again, not that there's not a place for that, but why aren't we talking about evangelism? Why aren't we focusing on that? Why aren't we focusing on how to make an impact in the world around us? Because we don't know what to do. This is what we've done for so long. This is who we are. You come to church, you hear a sermon, and you leave. Does worship change you? Does reading the Bible change you? Are you going to God's word to grow? Are you coming to worship to grow? Sadly, many people come to worship because they want to be fed in their area of wants and desires, not necessarily their needs. I've had plenty of people ask me, so, so what, do you, uh, what does your church have in the way of this program or that program? I'm happy to answer that question, but I've never had anyone call me on the phone and say, hey, what can I do to help your church grow? I mean, if I come and be a member there, how can I be used? Very seldom do I get that call. It's all about what can you do for me? And it's funny, when I go and preach at another church or when I go and visit another congregation, there's usually somebody there that I know. Even if I don't know them, they come up and talk to me. And I can guarantee you I'm going to get asked one question. I may get asked a lot, but one question that's always going to get asked and every preacher gets asked this question. Every preacher. So uh, how big is Oldham Lane? 
That's a question every preacher gets asked. Right, Travis? Every time. So how big is Oldham Lane? And some preachers answer that question by giving their membership, but that's not an accurate depiction, right? Your membership may be 800, but only have 200 that come on Sunday morning. Some preachers give, you know, their average attendance, whatever. But isn't that funny how that's the question? Because it's about numbers. That's what we focus on. As long as you as long as you got a lot of people, as long as you have a big crowd. I mean, I've even heard preachers follow that question with a disclaimer and say, Well, you know, we're not that big, but you know, we got this and we've had these people move, and you know, because we have to make up for it. We have to justify why we don't have a lot of people because you judge success by the number of people you have. And the more people you have, the better your church must be. Is this always about external growth? I mean, I love the fact that we're growing here at Oldham Lane. Are you growing? When we talk about church growth, why do we always look at the external number? Why don't we talk about our people inside the building? Are you growing? Is growth happening among the people that are already here? Because I know some churches that have only 40, 50, 60 people that are mega churches. Because those folks are doing great things. They're growing. They're an Acts church. That's what we should be striving to be. Going, doing, not just coming and sitting, right? What we do here is important. It's vital. But what we do outside of here is important as well. Sorry I got on a rant there, but I'm really passionate about what we should be. And it's unfortunate that many people have settled for lukewarm, and there are many people that are going through life being just as they are, and that's okay with them. They're not growing, they're not achieving new heights, they're not raising the spiritual bar, and that is fine. They don't care. That's perfectly fine. You think about how many people that are sitting in our churches week to week that are going to hell. Have you ever thought about that? Every church has people that are faithful attenders, but they're not disciples. And they think they're good. It's scary to think about. We should demand better from ourselves, from each other. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, I think. We all want to get to heaven. We all want to be together in heaven someday, I believe. Prepare for that now. Strive for that now. That's, that's Paul's words in a nutshell. Be prepared because Jesus is coming back soon. He thought he was coming sooner rather than later. So be prepared. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You can read that a lot of different ways, and you can come away with a lot of different messages there, all of them really good, but the one thing I hear Paul saying is, don't be yourself. And if you're going to be yourself, you ain't going to make it. If you have a need, come now as we stand and as we sing.